Chapter Four, Part One of Autobiography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Gilbert. Autobiography by John Stuart Mill. Chapter Four, Youthful Propagandism. The Westminster Review, Part One. The occupation of so much of my time by office work did not relax my attention to my own pursuits, which were never carried on more vigorously. It was about this time that I began to write in newspapers. The first writings of mine which got into print were two letters published towards the end of 1822 in the Traveller Evening Newspaper. The Traveller, which afterwards grew into the Globe and Traveller, by the purchase and incorporation of the Globe, was then the property of the well-known political economist Colonel Torrance, and under the editorship of an able man, Mr. Walter Colson, who, after being an amanuensis of Mr. Bentham, became a reporter, then an editor, next a barrister and conveyancer, and died counsel to the home office it had become one of the most important newspaper organs of liberal politics colonel torrens himself wrote much of the political economy of his paper and had at this time made an attack upon some opinions of ricardo and my father to which at my father's instigation i attempted an answer and colson out of consideration for my father and goodwill to me inserted it there was a reply by torrens to which i again rejoined i soon after attempted something considerably more ambitious the prosecutions of richard carlyle and his wife and sister for publications hostile to christianity were then exciting much attention and nowhere more than among the people i frequented freedom of discussion even in politics much more in religion was at that time far from being even in theory the conceited point which it at least seems to be now and the holders of obnoxious opinions had to be always ready to argue and re-argue for the liberty of expressing them i wrote a series of five letters under the signature of wycliffe going over the whole length and breadth of the question of free publication of all opinions on religion and offered them to the morning chronicle three of them were published in january and february eighteen twenty three the other two containing things too outspoken for that journal never appeared at all a debate in the house of commons was inserted as a leading article and during the whole of this year eighteen twenty three a considerable number of my contributions were printed in the Chronicle and Traveller. Sometimes notices of books, but oftener letters, commenting on some nonsense talked in Parliament, or some other defect of the law, or misdoings of the magistracy of the courts of justice. In this last department, the Chronicle was now rendering single service. After the death of Mr. Perry, the editorship and management of the paper had devolved on Mr. John Black, long a reporter on its establishment, a man of most extreme reading and information. 
great honesty and simplicity of mind a particular friend of my father imbued with many of his and bentham's ideas which he reproduced in his articles among other valuable thoughts with great facility and skill from this time the chronicle ceased to be the merely whig organ it was before and during the next ten years became to a considerable extent a vehicle of the opinions of the utilitarian radicals this was mainly by what black himself wrote with some assistance from von bloch who first showed his eminent qualities as a writer by articles and judi esprit in the chronicle the defects of the law and of the administration of justice were the subject on which that paper rendered most service to improvement up to that time hardly a word has been said except by bentham and my father against the most peccant part of english institutions and of their administration it was the almost universal creed of establishment that the law of england the judicature of england the unpaid magistracy of england were models of excellence i do not go beyond the mark in saying that after bentham who supplied the principal materials the greatest share of the merit of breaking down this wretched superstition belongs to black as editor of the morning chronicle he kept up an incessant fire against it exposing the absurdities and vices of the law and the course of justice paid and unpaid until he forced some sense of them into the people's minds on many other questions he became the organ of opinions much in advance of any which had ever before found regular advocacy in the newspaper press black was a frequent visitor of my father and mr grote used to say that he always knew by the monday morning's article whether black had been with my father on the sunday black was one of the most influential of the many channels through which my father's conversation and personal influence made his opinions tell on the world operating with the effect of his writings in making him a power to the country such as it has rarely been the lot of an individual in a private station to be through the mere force of intellect and character and a power which was often acting the most efficiently where it was least seen and suspected i have already noticed how much of it was done by ricardo hume and grote was the result in part of his prompting and persuasion he was the good genius by the side of brahm in most of what he did for the public either on education law reform or any other subject and his influence flowed in minor streams too numerous to be specified this influence was now about to receive a great extension by the foundation of the westminster review contrary to what may have been supposed my father was in no degree a party to setting up the westminster review the need of a radical organ to make head against the edinburgh and quarterly then in the period of their greatest reputation and influence had been a topic of conversation between him and mr bentham many years earlier and it had been a part of their chateau in espagne that my father should be the editor but the idea never assumed any practical shape in eighteen twenty three however mr bentham determined to establish the review at his own cost and offered the editorship to my father who declined it as 
incompatible with his India House appointment. It was then entrusted to Mr. now Sir John Bowring, at that time a merchant in the city. Mr. Bowring had been for two or three years previous an assiduous frequenter of Mr. Bentham, to whom he was recommended by many personal good qualities, by an ardent admiration for Bentham, a zealous adoption of many, though not all, of his opinions, and, not least, by an extensive acquaintanceship and correspondence with liberals of all countries, which seemed to qualify him for being a powerful agent in spreading Bentham's fame and doctrines through all quarters of the world. My father had seen little of Bowring, but knew enough of him to have formed a strong opinion that he was a man of an entirely different type from what my father considered suitable for conducting a political and philosophical review. And he augured so ill of the enterprise that he regretted it altogether, feeling persuaded not only that Mr. Bentham would lose his money, but that discredit would probably be brought upon radical principles. He could not, however, desert Mr. Bentham, and he consented to write an article for the first number, as it had been a favorite portion of the scheme formerly talked of, that part of the work should be devoted to reviewing the other reviews. This article of my father's was to be a general criticism of the Edinburgh Review from its commencement. Before writing it, he made me read through all the volumes of the review, or as much of each as seemed of any importance, which was not so arduous a task in 1823 as it would be now, and make notes for him of the articles which I thought he would wish to examine, either on account of their good or their bad qualities. This paper of my father's was the chief cause of the sensation which the Westminster Review produced at its first appearance, and is, both in conception and in execution, one of the most striking of all his writings. He began by an analysis of the tendencies of periodical literature in general, pointing out that it cannot, like books, wait for success, but must succeed immediately or not at all and is hence almost certain to profess and inculcate the opinions already held by the public to which it addresses itself, instead of attempting to rectify or improve those opinions. He next, to characterize the position of the Edinburgh Review as a political organ, entered into a complete analysis, from the radical point of view, of the British Constitution. He held up to notice its thoroughly aristocratic character, the nomination of a majority of the House of Commons by a few hundred families, the entire identification of the more in the country members with the great landholders, the different classes whom this narrow oligarchy was induced for convenience to admit to a share of power, and finally what he called its two props, the church and the legal profession. He pointed out the natural tendency of an aristocratic body of this composition to group itself into two parties, one of them in possession of the executive, the other endeavoring to supplant the former and become the predominant section by the aid of public opinion, without any essential sacrifice of the aristocratical predominance. He described the course likely to be pursued and the political ground occupied by an aristocratic party in opposition coquetting with popular principles for the sake of popular support. 
he showed how this idea was realized in the conduct of the whig party and of the edinburgh review as its chief literary organ he described as their main characteristic what he termed seesaw writing alternatively on both sides of the question which touched the power or interest of the governing classes sometimes in different articles sometimes in different parts of the same article and illustrated his position by copious specimens so formidable an attack on the whig party and policy had never before been made nor had so great a blow ever been struck in this country for to radicalism nor was there i believe any living person capable of writing that article except my father begin footnote the continuation of this article in the second number of the review was written by me under my father's eye and except as practice in composition in which respect it was to me more useful than anything else i ever wrote was of little or no value End footnote. in the meantime the nascent review had formed a junction with another project of a purely literary periodical to be edited by mr henry southern afterwards a diplomatist then a literary man by profession the two editors agreed to unite their corps and divide the editorship bowring taking the political southern the literary department southern's review was to have been published by longman and that firm though part proprietors of the edinburgh were willing to be the publishers of the new journal but when all the arrangements had been made and the prospectus sent out longman's saw my father's attack on the edinburgh and drew back my father was now appealed to for his interest with his own publisher baldwin which was exerted with a successful result and so in april eighteen twenty four amidst anything but hope on my father's part and that of the most of those who afterwards aided in carrying out the review the first number made its appearance that number was an agreeable surprise to most of us the average of the articles was of much better quality than had been expected the literary and artistic department had rested chiefly on mr bingham a barrister subsequently a police magistrate who had been for some years a frequenter of bentham was a friend of both the austins and had adopted with great ardour mr bentham's philosophical opinions partly from accident there were in the first number as many as five articles by bingham and we were extremely pleased with them i well remember the mixed feeling i myself had about the review the joy of finding what we did not at all expect that it was sufficiently good to be capable of being made a creditable organ of those who held the opinions it professed and extreme vexation since it was so good on the whole at what we thought the blemishes of it when however in addition to our generally favourable opinion of it we learned that it had an extraordinary large sale for a first number and found that the appearance of a radical review with pretensions equal to those of the established organs of parties had excited much attention there could be no room for hesitation and we all became eager in doing everything we could to strengthen and improve it my father continued to write occasional articles the quarterly review received its exposure as a sequel to that of the edinburgh of his other contributions 
the most important were an attack on southley's book of the church in the fifth number and a political article in the twelfth mr austin only contributed one paper but one of great merit an argument against primogeniture in reply to an article then lately published in the edinburgh review by mccullough grote also was a contributor only once all the time he could spare being already taken up with his history of greece the article he wrote was on his own subject and was a very complete exposure and castigation of mitford bingham and charles austin continued to write for some time von bloch was a frequent contributor from the third number of my particular associates ellis was a regular writer up to the ninth number and about the time when he left off others of the set began eaton took graham and roebuck i was myself the most frequent writer of all having contributed from the second number to the eighteenth thirteen articles reviews of books on history and political economy or discussions on special political topics as corn laws game laws laws of libel occasional articles of merit came in from other acquaintances of my father's and in time of mine and some of mr bowring's writers turned out well on the whole however the conduct of the review was never satisfactory to any of the persons strongly interested in its principles with whom i came in contact hardly ever did a number come out without containing several things extremely offensive to us either in points of opinion of taste or by mere want of ability the unfavourable judgments passed by my father grote the two austins and others were re-echoed with exaggeration by us younger people and as our youthful zeal rendered us by no means backward in making complaints we led the two editors a sad life from my knowledge of what i then was i have no doubt that we were at least as often wrong as right and i am very certain that if the review had been carried on according to our notions i mean those of the juniors it would have been no better perhaps not even as good as it was but it is worth noting as a fact in the history of benthamism that the periodical organ by which it was best known was from the first extremely unsatisfactory to those whose opinions on all subjects it was supposed specially to represent meanwhile however the review made considerable noise in the world and gave a recognized status in the area of opinion and discussion to the benthamic type of radicalism out of all proportion to the number of its adherents and to the personal merits and abilities at that time of most of those who could be reckoned among them it was a time as is known of rapidly rising liberalism when the fears and animosities accompanying the war with france had been brought to an end and people had once more a place in their thoughts for home politics the tide began to set towards reform the renewed oppression of the continent by the old reigning families the continents apparently given by the english government to the conspiracy against liberty called the holy alliance and the enormous weight of the national debt and taxation occasioned by so long and costly a war rendered the government and parliament very unpopular radicalism under the leadership of the burdettes and coberts had assumed a character and importance which seriously alarmed the administration 
and their alarm had scarcely been temporarily assuaged by the celebrated six acts when the trial of queen caroline roused a still wider and deeper feeling of hatred though the outward signs of this hatred passed away with its exciting cause there arose on all sides a spirit which had never shown itself before of opposition to abuse in detail mr hume's persevering scrutiny of the public expenditure forcing the house of commons to a division on every objectionable item in the estimates had begun to tell with great force on public opinion and had exhorted many minor retrenchments from an unwilling administration political economy had asserted itself with great vigour in public affairs by the petition of the merchants of london for free trade drawn up in eighteen twenty by mr tooke and presented by mr alexander baring and by the noble exertions of ricardo during the few years of his parliamentary life his writings followed up the impulse given by the bouillon controversy and followed up in their turn by the expositions and comments of my father and mccullough whose writings in the edinburgh review during these years were most valuable had drawn general attention to the subject making at least partial converts of the cabinet itself and huskinson supported by canning and commenced that gradual demolition of the protective system which one of their colleagues virtually completed in eighteen forty six though the vast vestiges were only swept away by mr gladstone in eighteen sixty mr peel then home secretary was entering cautiously into the untrodden and peculiar benthamic path of law reform at this period when liberalism seemed to be becoming the tone of the time when improvement of institutions was preached from the highest places and a complete change of the constitution of parliament was loudly demanded in the lowest it is not strange that attention should have been roused by the regular appearance in controversy of what seemed a new school of writers claiming to be the legislators and theorists of this new tendency the air of strong conviction with which they wrote when scarcely any one else seemed to have an equally strong faith in as definite a creed the boldness with which they tilted against the very front of both the existing political parties and their uncompromising profession of opposition to many of the generally received opinions and the suspicion they lay under of holding others still more heterodox that they professed the talent and verve of at least my father's articles and the appearance of a corps behind him sufficient to carry on a review and finally the fact that the review was bought and read made the so-called bentham school in philosophy and politics fill a greater place in the public mind than it had held before or has ever again held since other equally earnest schools of thought have arisen in england as i was in the headquarters of it knew of what it was composed and as one of the most active of its very small number might say without undue assumption quorum pa magna fui it belongs to me more than to most others to give some account of it
this supposed school then had no other existence than what was constituted by the fact that my father's writings and conversation drew around him a certain number of young men who had already imbibed or who imbibed from him a greater or smaller portion of his very decided political and philosophical opinions the notion that bentham was surrounded by a band of disciples who received their opinions from his lips is a fable to which my father did justice in his fragment on mackintosh and which to all who knew mr bentham's habits of life and manner of conversation is simply ridiculous the influence which bentham exercised by his writings through them he has produced and is producing effects on the condition of mankind wider and deeper no doubt than any which can be attributed to my father he is a much greater name in history but my father exercised a far greater personal ascendancy he was sought for the vigour and instructiveness of his conversation and did use it largely as an instrument for the diffusion of his opinions i have never known any man who could do such ample justice to his best thoughts in colloquial discussion his perfect command over his great mental resources the terseness and expressiveness of his language the moral earnestness as well as intellectual force of his delivery made him one of the most striking of all argumentative conversers and he was full of anecdote a hearty laughter and when with people whom he liked a most lively and amusing companion it was not solely or even chiefly in diffusing his merely intellectual convictions that his power showed itself it was still more through the influence of a quality of which i have only since learnt to appreciate the extreme rarity that exalted public spirit and regarded above all things to the good of the whole which warmed into life and activity every germ of a similar virtue that existed in the minds he came in contact with the desire he made them feel for his approbation the shame at his disapproval the moral support which his conversation and his very existence gave to those who were aiming at the same objects and the encouragement he afforded to the faint-hearted or desponding among them by the firm confidence which though the reverse of sanguine as to the results to be expected in any one particular case he always felt in the power of reason the general progress of improvement and the good which individuals could do by judicious effort end of chapter four youthful propagandism the westminster review part one recording by gary gilbert